0: This is Deacon Allen. We're going to be talking about the uh, lesson on the commandments of the church. That's lesson 22, which is found on page 138 of our catechism. We'll be going through pages 138 to 142, talking about the third, fourth, fifth and sixth commandments of the church. Now, of course, when we're talking about the commandments of the church, we're not talking about the Ten Commandments. Those are the commandments of God. What we're talking about the commandments of the church is these are things that the church asks us to do, um, and for really good reason, as we'll talk about. Uh, because uh, these are things that the church, for you know, remember, the church is two thousand years old. We have a lot of experience with. The spiritual life, growing to be more and more in touch with God, and growing in our Christian faith, and so these commandments are kind of, uh, you know, the bare minimum, if you will, that the Church imposes on us for our own good, you know, just so that so that we can grow in grace uh, and uh, and uh, knowledge of God. Um, the first or the third of the, the third commandment of the church is going is to confess our sins at least once a year. At least once a year. Now, if you have a mortal sin on your conscience, if you willfully did something that is seriously wrong and you did it with full knowledge of what you were doing and you did it anyway. Well, you should go to confession. Right away, because you know, you've got a a serious sin on your conscience that can break your relationship with God. And if you want to get back into a good relationship with God, you need to fix that. I mean, we all do, and we all stumble, you know, throughout our lives and go to confession. I go to confession, Father Moriarty goes to confession, Father McConville goes to confession. Okay, we all need this, but. By imposing this kind of bare minimum standard of going to confession at least once a year. You know, when I think about that, I think it's really hard, certainly, for me to imagine going a whole year without committing a mortal sin. Because I know myself, right? I know that I slip up all the time. But what this does is it puts like a bare minimum on it. So that we're at least thinking about you know, what we're doing, how we're living our life. Because when you're preparing for confession, what do you do? You do an examination of conscience. You look at, how have I been acting? How have I been living? How, how have I been loving God or not loving God? How have I been loving my neighbor, not loving my neighbor, right? And so, by this putting this bare minimum, we're strictly obliged to make a good confession uh, within the year even if we, uh, you know, certainly if we have a mortal sin to confess, right? But it's a good idea to go to confession frequently because a frequent confession can help us overcome temptation. I mean, part of that, you know, if you just think about it, it's like, ooh, if I'm tempted to do something and I think, oh, but I'm going to have to tell Father Moriarty about that, uh, maybe that's one little thing that all, you need, all we need is that one little thing extra thought that holds us up before we do something that we'll be sorry for doing right Um, but you know so there's that you know there's the thing that i don't really want to have to you know uh, have something on my conscience that i have to confess but also um frequent confession helps us grow in grace because you know sin is one of those i've used this example before in the class sin is like a weed And it starts out small. And if you pull it out when it's small, it's easy to pull out. But if you don't pull it out when it's small, it grows and grows. And sin does the same thing in our soul. It grows and grows. And it becomes harder and harder to root it out and to break those bad habits that can come up. And so frequent confession helps us deal with that. I know it's frustrating sometimes when you think week after week, month after month, I'm confessing the same things. But trust me, as you grow older, as you as you as you grow in grace, you know you can look back and you can see the progress. You may not see it at the moment, but you can look back and you can see that there has been progress in your in your spiritual life. So you know a Catholic uh, who neglects to receive Holy Communion worthily, um, you know, which with a mortal sin in his conscience is going to contribute um, it's going to Uh, is going to add another mortal sin, right? The second, the fourth uh, commandment of the church, and this brings us to this, because we're right now entering Easter time, is to receive Holy Communion during Easter time. Now, obviously, uh, if you, you know, at least once, right? Most of us, uh, if we're in a state of grace, will receive communion, um, you know, every, every week. Uh, Although, you know, this is kind of a difficult time with this uh, uh, COVID-19 virus, and a lot of us are having to watch uh, Mass from home uh, and not receive communion. But uh, in Easter, uh, we're commanded to receive it at least once during the Easter season. And in the United States, that begins, Easter season is kind of broadly interpreted, it begins with the first Sunday of Lent, and it ends on Trinity Sunday. So there's a long period in there. Why do we do this? Well, you know, historically, whereas our practice now has been frequent communion, and that's a good thing, there are long periods of the Church's history. A lot of people, you would feel so... um, uh, unworthy to receive communion, and you know, when you think about it, we really are all of us, even the best of us, are unworthy to receive communion because communion is our Lord Jesus Christ Himself coming into us and 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 in a very intimate way. But um, it it got to the point where people just were not receiving communion for years. And so the church thought, well, you've at least got to receive communion once a year. And Easter time, ro- broadly speaking, is a good time for that. So the church imposed that commandment, again, as a bare minimum, but by all means, especially once our church is opened up again, you know, and you're, if you're in a state of grace, um, then by all means, receive communion every time you come to Mass. The fifth uh, commandment of the church is to contribute to the support of the church. And you know, each of us contributes in our own way. Um, some people have you know, good financial resources and they give a lot. Some people don't and they give a little. Um, some people don't have any money at all, and so they will give in other ways, too. And there are ways, you know, the financial ways, you can put money in the basket, but you can also, uh, you know, especially when we have our church cleaning um, before Christmas and before Easter, that's a great way to give back to your, to your church. Um, uh, and you know what? At the very least, you know what would be really beautiful for Father Moriarty and Father McConville? Um, is if you don't have anything else to give, you can give your prayers. You can support them any way you can. Make a spiritual bouquet, you know what that is? That's where you make like a commitment where you say, I'm gonna say 10 rosaries for Father Moriarty. And then you let him know, you can give him a card. That's a way of supporting your church that might fit really well with your position. And then later, you know, when you're grown up and you got a job and you've got the money that can help support the church, then you can, you know, give uh, money. Or you know, if you got a quarter and you want to give it, that's good too. Because remember the story in the gospel where there are all these rich people going into the temple and they're putting money in the collection and they're pretty self-important. And then this really poor widow puts in two little tiny copper coins. And Jesus says, she put in more than all the others because she gave, they gave out of their abundance and she gave out of her poverty. And then we come to the sixth commandment of the church, and this is something that you don't have to worry about for a while yet, but, uh, but keep it in mind. To observe the marriage laws of the church, a Catholic is obligated to marry as a Catholic. That means in front of a bishop, priest, or deacon, according to the right of the Catholic church, unless, for a very good reason, the bishop gives permission for something else, okay? And part of the reason for this is, uh, you know, marriage is a sacrament. And, you know, if you're approaching it in a flippant sort of way, going out to Vegas and getting married in front of a, you know, Elvis impersonator and a balloon over the St. Croix or whatever, you kind of wonder, what are they doing? What are they doing if they're approaching it in a way that isn't, You know treating it like something sacred and holy like a sacrament so we approach um, marriage the church requires that for a catholic you marry as a catholic in a catholic ceremony uh, in front of a bishop priest or deacon according to the right of the catholic church and if you don't the church will not recognize it as a marriage Okay, so that is the, uh, the uh, obligation to observe the marriage laws of the Church. Um, the Church uh, does not generally forbid Catholics to, uh, um, to uh, you know, it doesn't require Catholics necessarily to marry Catholics. Although you got to know, there are some difficulties that it can arise if you don't. If the most important thing in your life is your faith in Christ and you can't share that with the most important person in your life, you know, marriage is difficult enough. Um, uh, And, you know, if if you make one more thing more difficult, it can make marriage all that much more difficult. So for good reasons, the church might, uh, 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 you know, give permission for a Catholic to marry a non-Catholic, and especially a non-Catholic Christian, because you still share the same baptism and faith in our Lord. but uh, uh you know we uh the church wants us to marry as Catholics, understanding the seriousness and holiness of what we're doing um the church allows Catholics to marry during Lent and Advent, but you know those are kind of quiet seasons in preparation for for uh, for Easter and for Christmas, and so this should be done with a little less uh festivity um but for a good reason you might have a wedding during that time but most often people get married in you know in the the green seasons of the year right during the summer um and a a nuptial mass is a special mass you can get married without a mass and i've done that as a deacon i've i've presided at people's weddings but a nuptial mass with a priest present there are special prayers and special graces and you know and you're having Jesus right there on the altar right in the blessed sacrament being there giving his blessing to you as a married couple starting out on life so uh, we keep all this in mind uh, to observe the marriage laws of the church Um, So those are the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments of the Church, to confess our sins at least once a year, to receive Holy Communion during that Easter time, broadly understood, to contribute in some way, according to your means, to the support of the Church, and to observe the marriage laws of the Church.